Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, and here with me today is Erica Culpepper, a general manager at L'Oreal. Welcome, Erica. Thank you, Priya. Thank you so much. Super excited. Erica, you know, you impressed me so much just because you've had such a long career in beauty and you've really ridden so many different ways. And I'm just wondering, you know, when you first got into it, which was 20 plus years ago, you know, was this something that you always wanted to do? Did you know that beauty was something that was a real career or that you could pursue that? Yes. I love telling this story. I love that you asked this. I love this is how we start. Um, I was very intentional about my career and I ended up here because when I was in college, I was like a senior in college, didn't know what I wanted to do next. And I happened to read an article about this woman who was the head of marketing for Maybelline. At that time, Maybelline was headquartered in my hometown of Memphis. And I just didn't know that people from Memphis could have a career in beauty. And so ever since I read that article, I was on a mission to become that woman. And so that was how I started my career in beauty. I just started banging on the doors, calling people, talk to anybody who would listen to me. And, you know, as destiny would have it, it happens, you know. And so I think that whole journey is just really an example of relentlessly pursuing your your dreams. And if you believe it's possible, like it's really possible. What was her name? Do you remember her name? Her name was, I want to say her name was Jacqueline Wills. Like, don't quote me on that. Nobody quote me on that, but I'm almost positive that was her name. I used to have her name down pat because that was literally who I wanted to be. Um, And I ended up taking a little detour before I ultimately ended up at Maybelline. But when I got there, I cried like I cried my first day at work because I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm here. When I saw the Maybelline masthead on, on the first campaign I did and I looked at that on my first day, I was like, oh, my God, this is really happening. It's total dream come true. You know, it's funny that you say that because. I think they're, you know, coming from not New York City and not even like LA. I think so many people are like, wait, these are real jobs. And yeah. I think it's so interesting that Maybelline was based in Memphis at the time. Like what a yeah. lucky coincidence. Yes, because they were owned, it was an acquisition. So they were owned by Bristol Myers Squibb, which was headquartered in Memphis. And then flash forward by the time I had gone through a, like another career at J&J and was ready for my next move. I'm like, I want to go to Maybelline. That's what I want to do. And when I started to look into Maybelline, Maybelline had been acquired by L'Oreal. It was headquartered in, in New York. And I applied. I applied. And I was like, I'm going for it. I'm going for gold. This is what I want. That's all I want. And I actually had been made an offer on another brand. And Priya, do you know what I said? Tell me. No. Yeah, I was like, oh, no, thank you. I'll wait on Maybelline. <laughs> another L'Oreal brand, you said no? Yes, another L'Oreal brand that I ultimately ended up on. Garnier. It was, Garnier was my first offer. That's so hysterical. And I love that you were you were selective. Before yes. we get into your career at L'Oreal, which has been like, you know, over 15 years, tell me, you were at J&J before. And that was, you know, um, you know, a little bit of a diversion from your career at L'Oreal. So tell me what that experience was like, because beauty 20 years ago is obviously very different than where it is today. It was so different. But even when I was at J&J, it worked out in a really cool way. I started on skincare at J&J. And it was at a time when J&J really was not a leader in skincare yet. 
And um, we were really trying to establish ourselves in the category. And so I started on what we called adult skincare. Um, and then I ended up taking on baby. Uh, so I did Johnson's baby, the adult skincare brands. And then I moved on to rock and I did the national launch of rock into the U.S. So it was a French brand that we were bringing over to the U.S. So I took rock from a test market to national um, and did all the campaigns like we had the biggest media budgets at the time. And that was at a time when there was no separation between global marketing and, and operational marketing, if you will. You just did everything. So I did everything from the PR campaigns to the media campaigns um, to the media plans to developing what the concepts were for the new innovation, everything from soup to nuts. And today, those jobs are very separate, correct? Very separate. Very. I mean, very few companies will you find where someone has the opportunity to do the to own the full piece of the pie. Um, I'm fortunate now in my role that I oversee both the the product development and the operational piece. But even that is is very rare. Very rare. So we know you had this obsession with L'Oreal and you wanted to get there. So when you got there and you you've covered so many different categories. I mean, skincare, like you said, at J&J, but also hair care now, and, you know, clearly makeup at Maybelline. Tell me what you think the biggest shifts have been like over these last years, because, you know, you've seen skincare go up, you've seen makeup go down, you've seen hair care, like become this like wonderful pocket of joy during the pandemic. And I'm just wondering, you know, like what stayed true? Yeah, it's so dynamic. I mean, you know, because you live and breathe this every day too. Beauty is so dynamic and I love watching the evolution of, of how things change, um, how, how some things stay constant. What I have seen very consistently, um, especially over the last two years, is this, this notion of simplicity, the notion of self-care, and really using beauty as a health tool. So not just for like superficial beauty purposes, but also as a means to be healthy and looking for healthier ingredients. And that's something that is tried and true. And even as we are hopefully um, on the other side of the pandemic now, we still see that that to this day. Today you cover, you know, Carol's daughter, Sashin's Carson, and Thayer's Natural Remedies. So very different brands. And I'm wondering like how you're able to kind of like slice and dice those brands and then also slice and dice your specific day or week. Yeah. You know what? I love it. Um, I love where I am at this point in my career because I'm managing a portfolio of brands. And so within the portfolio, I have like, I get to, not I have to, I get to do two things. So one is I'm looking at my portfolio to see where do I have synergies. And really the biggest synergies are, I have high growth potential brands that I'm looking to see how can I scale these brands? Um, how can I expand them? Uh, what, what additional opportunities do we have? Um, I also am looking to see, okay, what are the similarities across the three? So all of them are strong founder stories. So if you look at like a Carol's daughter, of course we have Lisa Price, um, who I'm very honored to get the opportunity to work with every day. Um, so Lisa Price is still involved. We have Sachin Carson, which was the merging of two uh, Black-founded brands. Um, it's so two Black-founded portfolios. And Dark and Lovely was the product of that. And now we have Thayer's Natural Remedies, which was, the, uh, which was founded by a, a, a pharmacist. 
And so it really has helped us um, to, to put these stories together and to allow each brand, because each brand has its own distinct personality, um, its own point of difference that it brings to the table. And so my role is to really help amplify what's truly new, better, different about each one of those brands and how do we scale it and talk about it in a way that, that's compelling to consumers. You know, what's interesting, what you just said, obviously, like they're all founder-led brands, but they're all also acquisitions. These were not homegrown brands within L'Oreal. So you're kind of bringing this outside, inside point of view to these brands. How has that been like, because you always hear these stories in beauty of, of brands, you know, not necessarily being able to integrate well, and maybe it wasn't the right fit for a company. I mean, clearly that's not been the case for Carol's daughter and Sashin Carson, and there's natural as a, as a newer acquisition. But how important is, you know, the culture piece and the, into the overall portfolio? It's so important. It's so, so, so important. Um, the good thing about me being in this role is that before I moved into business development and doing acquisitions and integrations, I worked on the flagship L'Oreal Paris brand. I used to be the category head on skincare. I was the chief of staff on L'Oreal Paris, where I actually owned the brand equity for L'Oreal Paris. So everything around, because you're worth it, how do you bring that to life? How do you bring the mega brand of L'Oreal Paris to life? Um, it is the flagship brand and it's the brand that you know, is on our company, it's our company's name and on the building. So what you do with that name is really important and how you carry yourself on that team is important. I worked on the Maybelline, you know, I led eye and lip on, on Maybelline. So I knew the infrastructure of our company, both locally as well as around the world. And so for me to bring new brands into the L'Oreal portfolio, I wanted to be able to welcome brands into this company and to be able to show them what the best of L'Oreal was. However, how can we bring the best of L'Oreal and help you maintain your own individual brand and cultural identity? So that's where, where we have the, the biggest, you know, the biggest opportunities there. And it, that part has been really great because you learn from other people, like it's bringing new people into the company too, you know, because you have people who come over with the acquisition, you learn new ways, new, more efficient ways to run businesses. Um, so there are things that work really well on both sides. Tell me a little bit about the last year, especially for Carol's daughter and Sashin Carson, because I know we've talked a lot about this offline and, you know, obviously inclusivity and diversity are very important topics for both of us individually, but this is something that was not necessarily focused on in beauty as much it has, as it has been, you know, after like the Black Lives Matter protests and, and brands really getting serious about that. So knowing that these are founder led brands, knowing these are very personal brands to you and to the consumer, what was that like? It was hard. I mean, I would love to sit here and, and say, oh, it was beautiful and, you know, everything was perfect. It wasn't like it, it really wasn't. It was really difficult um, on a lot of levels, uh, especially for a brand like Carol's Daughter, where we have Lisa Price, who's this highly visible, uh, very well-respected Black founder uh, who was revered and who is still revered within the community. And when this whole conversation around Black-owned erupted, there was so much energy and passion around that, that some of it became very personal in terms of why did she sell her brand to L'Oreal? It was like, why did she do this? Uh, why did she sell her brand 
Um, she's a sellout. The brand is a sellout. Um, we were called out a lot. Um, that conversation, there were certainly a lot of people who had those strong emotions around that and, and were just very, you know, 100% all Black, all everything. But there also still is a, a very strong community of people who want to uplift the Black community and understand that just because a brand um, reached a level of success to where they would attract the attention of the number one beauty brand, beauty company in the world, which, I mean, that's the definition of success and entrepreneurship, whether you are Black or not, um, that there's a lot of learning that exists in that and that there's a lot of resources and opportunity to impact the community from that. So that was a lot of the conversation we had on the Carol's Daughter side. Um, we, we, we tackled that head on. Like we had those conversations directly with the community. Like Lisa would release videos. We did forums on our Instagram live. Um, we did panels. So we talked about it. And I think it's something that we were able to get through together as a community. For Dark and Lovely, we weren't called out as much. Um, and it really gave us an opportunity to be like much bolder, louder and prouder about how we wanted to show up. Because when your name is dark and lovely, you know, you got to show up and be dark and lovely and fabulous. And but also understanding too, like what role can we play within the community? And so we really took it as an opportunity to be much more grassroots. So we partnered with Howard University. We bought meals for students, you know, so we um, bought meals for the healthcare workers at the university. Um, so we did some things that were really personal to us. And we had people on our team, including myself, um, who were students at Howard University. And so everybody just has to figure out how to play your part. Um, and what role do you want to play in terms of bringing impact? Uh, to the Black community. And that's the part that I loved about this whole evolution over the last year. So even though some parts of it was painful, there was way more good than harm that came out of it. Because at the end of the day, the world we live in feels much more inclusive now. And I feel that there's a much more concerted effort um, across so many industries, and especially beauty. We stepped up and we did our part, and we showed that Black beauty matters, you know, and I think that that was a huge win for us. It's so wild to be still. The conversation that exploded last year about the Black-owned versus Black-founded, when in reality, there's just like so little, there was so little optionality for these consumers in the first place. Like, why yes. are we pitting against, why are we pitting these brands or these people against each other? But I guess- yes. Exactly. Like yes. a broader question for you. I'm sorry, can we pause before Please. you move on? But Please. can we just take a minute to acknowledge what you just said? Because you are attacking other Black people in the spirit of supporting Black people. Right? Does that really, like, does that really make sense if, if you think about that? No. I mean, I, I would say no. But that's why, I mean... I don't totally understand where that was coming from because it feels like you were damned if you do and you were damned right. if you were don't. Right. And even, you know, brands that went into certain retailers last year, you yes. know, as they expanded their presence or, you know, took on money, it was just kind of like, what are you supposed to do? Not grow, not, not be able to give more customers and shoppers, you know, 
more of, an, of, of a choice. There were deals. Okay, everybody listening, you guys are getting the real tea. Like, this is the real, this is not like, this is, this is real tea right here. But there are deals that were broken because of the energy and the passion around this conversation where companies were afraid to acquire other Black brands at that time because they were afraid of the backlash that would come out of that. Right. And so so that was a huge implication Um, on the positive side. If you look at the retail space right now, the the amount of space allocated to black owned brands, um, also to black founded brands like retailers are too figuring out their way because it's not an either or we need to do both. It has to it's important to support black owned brands. It's also important to support black founded brands as well as black led brands. Um, so it's all a very big and important uh, conversation, and we need all of it in order to be successful. We'll be right back after this message. Before we switch gears, I want to ask you, what do you think about the current retail landscape? Because the actual physical stores, because there was a lot of talk about, you know, how people are treated, whether they're Black customers or Asian customers or Native American customers in the store when they're looking for certain products, you know, certain retailers are really trying to ramp up their selection, but then there is still this strange, you know, I don't know what to call it, like division where it's like, oh, hey, we're the Black founded brands, we're the Black owned brands. And instead of just saying like, we're a great brand that's for everybody, like how do you toe that line in right. retail? I mean, I think it had to be, It this had to happen. So it, like we, and we are still in the middle of it. I think there's going to be more good than harm that, that co- has come out of it. And everybody is trying to figure out their way and how to have this conversation, how to amplify the voices. Um, and of course, right now we're talking about Black-owned and Black-founded, but we know there were so many different cross-cultural conversations and challenges that happened over the, the last two years. Um, and it's uh, it's fantastic that all of these things have been brought to light. And now as a country, we have to come together and we have to figure out how to celebrate everybody and how to all play nice in the sandbox. And I think that's where we are right now from a retail standpoint. Um, all of these things have been exposed um, and people know that if they if they exhibit bad behavior, uh, that they're going to be exposed. So. I think we start to see now the the fruits of that labor. We start to see more inclusivity at the show. Um, I think it will come, there will come a time to your point where we don't have to be so overt about calling it out. But right now we do have to, to call it out because the gaps have been so wide for so long. And so until we can start to close those gaps and it starts to feel more normal, I think it has to continue to be called out. And really, it's a celebration, too. I think retailers are proud. Like, they are very committed. I can tell you, every retailer I sit down with, they want to talk about this. They they want to talk. It's not so much chatter and, and press, if you will, now, but they are still fully committed to bringing about equity at the show. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. And I'm definitely here to be a partner to, to play my part and how I can help bring that to life. That's great to hear because, you know, you, you hear a lot, maybe it's also at the smaller scale with smaller brands and indie brands where you hear that, you know, oh, there was this flash flood of support around 
May or June, and then that all kind of weaned off. And and it's what you're describing is the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. It's the complete opposite. I even, I shouldn't say this, but I will because Please like, say it. Please the say listeners it. are getting all the tea today. We had a meeting with the retailer coming up asking about um, what our strategy was and how are we uh, approaching this whole conversation and expand our partnership beyond what we were already doing. So as a part of prepping for that, you know, I reached out to different members of my team, including our brand comms team who tracks all of the impressions and what the conversations are, et cetera, et cetera. The team came back and said, oh, the conversation has really died down in terms of whether or not people are talking about uh, this whole Black-owned versus Black-led. So we don't really have to talk about that anymore. And I'm like, oh, no, we absolutely do have to talk about that. And our retail partners are like, oh, yeah, we absolutely do have to talk about that because that thing can change at any given moment. So just because nobody is talking about it today, there could be a situation that erupts you know, in the next day or two, and all of a sudden everybody is talking about it again. So I believe what's happening now is the perfect example of people truly walking the talk. It's not about a big PR statement. Um, it really is about being true to the brands, uh, the brands being true to themselves and our retailers as brands, if you will, being true to a commitment uh, to diversity, equity, and inclusion seems especially with, you know, Dark and Lovely and also with Carol's Daughter, but I'm going to talk about Dark and Lovely for a second. It's really going after this younger, you know, more digitally savvy consumer. And I have to say, you know, Storm Reed being the face of the brand now is so exciting. Will you talk to us a little bit about how that happened and why she was the right person? You know what, Priya, like, it was so interesting, the process we went through for this, because given everything that's happened in the last couple of years, um, I have been obsessed. I don't want to work just with influencers or ambassadors just for their name. First of all, I want to work with somebody who embodies the spirit and the energy of the brand. I want to work with people who really care about the brand and the brand means something to them. So when they talk about it, they can talk about it from a meaningful place. And I want to work with people who are doing their own part to make a difference in the world, not just in the work that they do, but also in the impact they have within the community. And so when we started to look for talents that we wanted to work with, Storm really was that, that person who perfectly embodied all of that. You know, she's a young actress. Um, she's an activist. Uh, she's doing, uh, she's having her own impact on the business world with the other partnerships that she has taken a part in. And when you look at her commitment to those brands, like she's not just taking on brands just to take on brands. She's taken on things that she really cares about and is really committed to. And so that's why I was really excited for us to be able to partner with her. And the other thing is that her mom used Dark and Lovely. So her mom used Dark and Love, not only used it, but her mom used to be a, a model for Dark and Lovely. She was featured in a Dark and Lovely campaign. So for Storm, this was such a sense of pride. And we didn't know that when we reached out to her. So she was so excited when we reached out to her. Um, but this was such a sense of pride that she can continue the legacy that her mom started on this brand. Um, and so when you hear her talk about it and, and when you look at her launch video, it's very personal, personal and meaningful to her. Um, so I think that that, too, is just really important that Dark and Lovely is a brand 
that has a strong legacy. We're coming up on our 50th anniversary in, in 2022. And the beauty of this brand is that it's a brand that is passed down from grandmother to mother to daughter. And so we have to continue that momentum of reaching more of the daughters, if you will, and bringing this new consumer, uh, like Storm's generation, into the brand and making sure we have the right products that's going to appeal to that consumer, the right platforms, the right ways that we talk to consumers uh, in, a, in a very relevant way for that Gen Z-er. You can't make that story up. I mean, this is when people are talking about authenticity or organic relationships. I mean, this is the story that I think all brands are looking for, but it's very hard to kind of place that. I'm wondering for for Gen Z specifically, and, you know, for all of your brands, but what do you think about this total wave of platform shift? You know, obviously, you know, first it started with Facebook, then it was Instagram, now it's TikTok, now we're talking about the metaverse, you know, you can't keep up. So when you're thinking about with someone like Storm and what she can do, right, and all of these platforms, and especially TikTok, you know, what's important as a marketer and and thinking about like where you want to be and where you want to be first? You know what's important to me? That they they bring their own authentic voice. And you know what I said to my team? So we shot content. Of course, we have key message points that we want to communicate and we have our content that we shot. But I was like, give her the product, let her play with it and let her talk about it the way she would want to talk about it and let her put it out there on TikTok the way she would put it out on TikTok if we didn't dictate to her every single word that we want her to say. And so that is how I really want to approach the brand ambassadors approach the platforms because the platforms got like that from people being their authentic selves. Like if you look like a, if you look at how TikTok grew, it was just people out there having fun, being silly, trying different things, sharing it out with their friends. Um, so it's important that we allow that authentic authenticity as brands to come through and not be so married and committed to being able to say things perfectly the way we want to, to say them. Um, so that's important to me. And I think the technology is going to constantly be evolving. And if we want to evolve as brands, we got to be able to keep up. And so I want to know what are the new up and coming platforms, right? Because TikTok is amazing. And, you know, I, I love that hashtag TikTok made me do it. TikTok made me buy it. But what's the next TikTok? And how do we make sure we stay on top of that um, and that we reach people who are on those platforms as well. So we have to be everywhere. We have to have our eyes everywhere. Uh, We have to work with talent who are everywhere. We have to have people on our team who are everywhere. Have you really seen, and some people say it's much more about awareness right now than it is about sales lift or anything like that, but have your brands really seen a lift from these newer platforms? Yes, yes, yes. I can tell you 100, Priya, okay, I'm going to tell you, okay, I keep telling you all the secrets. I love Um, it. This is why we're friends. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. That's why I was so excited about this conversation today. Yes, we had a whole, we have a product. We have this men's grooming product. It's called Magic Shave, right? So it's a a legacy product. It's been around over a hundred years, something that's passed down from generation of men to generation of men. Can I tell you, last year, Magic sales like tripled. And we were like, what is going on on Magic? And so the team went and dug in. Magic had become a TikTok. It it like went viral on TikTok. 
And basically what happened is because magic is primarily for Black men, or so we thought, we had this whole young, new Gen Z consumer of non-Black consumers who discovered magic and were using it everywhere. Use your imagination. And they wanted to tell everybody they knew about it. And it went viral from that. And it stayed viral for almost a year. That's incredible. That it's is, insane. And I love that you said it wasn't it wasn't the male consumer that was just using it. And it no. wasn't the male black consumer that was just using no. it. No, no. And even these young girls, like when they would make the video, they're like, it says we're black men on the pack, but ignore that. Just ignore that. <laughs> and this is the shaving powder. Is this what you're talking about? It's the about? cream, the shaving oh, the cream. cream. Yeah, the cream, the powder. Yeah, all of it. Go when you in your spare time, go look at the hashtag for magic. <laughs> Everybody call to action who's listening to this. Make sure to listen to make, make sure to listen to Erica on this one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Erica, switching gears a little bit, we haven't really gotten a chance to talk to, about Thayer's, which was a really big acquisition that you guys accomplished, I guess, at this point, over a year ago. Yes, and, we just celebrated our one-year anniversary with L'Oreal. So I know that you had a long skincare career, but you know what was different about bringing that brand in? I mean, it already had so much loyalty, so much love. Um, and was kind of like this really cool, undiscovered indie brand for people you know, who may not be as into beauty as, you know, some of the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. I think Thayer's has really been a cool, very cool addition that that that's a scientific word in case you didn't know. Um, it's been a really cool addition to the L'Oreal portfolio because it really encompasses three big things, right? It brings naturality in a whole new way. Um, we literally grow our own witch hazel on a farm, on a local farm in Connecticut. Um, and so it truly is farm to bottle or farm to face, if you will. So it brings an element of naturality. It brings an element of science. And it also, it brings an element of trust because the brand is 174 years old. Next year, we'll celebrate our 175th. So it's the oldest brand now within the L'Oreal portfolio, even older than Kiehl's, um, who had worn that crown for, for quite a few years. So there certainly is an element of trust that that comes along with that. Um, and so it's the combination of those three things that we didn't have uh, in that way within our L'Oreal portfolio. And so what's been really important? I mean, I think it's a very well-known product. You know, when you go to a local pharmacy right around the corner from my house, like Metro Drugs, or if you go to any beauty store, but at the same time, like I know that you guys were really focused on awareness. You had your first uh, TV campaign earlier this year. And I'm wondering like, what was that about? Because it seems like it's a beloved brand already and you don't need to do that much for it. But at the same time, that's probably very, you know, naive to say. Well, I wouldn't say it's naive to say, but it, to your point, like how do you protect what's special in the um, that sort of best kept secret, if you will, while balancing, you know, how do we broaden this so more people can love it? And we have this community of people that we call devotees. Um, and so listening to how the devotees talk about the brand, they really inspired us on our campaign and how we wanted to grow, go out and expand uh, how we wanted to talk about the brand. But for us, I mean, of course, we brought this brand within our portfolio because we saw the potential to scale it, um, scale it much broader than uh, our core SKUs. We have a, a very broad portfolio, but our core SKUs are our alcohol-free toners. 
Um, but we saw an opportunity to really scale this brand. And that's what that campaign was about. How do we bring the best of both worlds? So the campaign, yes, there was a TV component, but there it also was very digitally native campaign. Um, where we we took the content, we adapted the content for social. We also had the content on YouTube, and we took some of the content and we also had influencers um, do it in their own voice. So talk about it in their own voice, but communicate very similar similar messages. So that campaign was really about how do we increase awareness of the brand and help more people understand what's so great about it. You know, we've been in the self care, you know moment, skincare moment, body care moment for such a long time now. I mean, did you really see the opportunity there, whether it's for expanding the portfolio or making it more ritualistic for the customer um, during these last two years or during this last year, rather? Yeah, absolutely. it's so funny you asked that because you didn't even know that our, our new... Um... Our new innovation that we will be bringing to the market, it literally is launching any day now. So this is uh, an exclusive for you, if you will. Uh, We have a new pH cleanser that we're launching under Thayer's. And it really is around this notion of self-care, around naturality, uh, around simplicity. Like simplicity is also very important to our consumer. And so it marries very well with our toner to help build build out the regimen. But it truly was taking into account the insights and the trends that we see in the market and and trying to really figure out how do we bring something to help consumers in this space. Erico, I mean, we feel like we, I could talk to you forever and we've talked so much about all of these brands, but I'm thinking about besides product innovation and besides obviously who knows what's going to happen with COVID next year, like what are your key priorities are you thinking about per brand or an overall for 2022? Yeah, we have so much going on in 2022. First of all, 2022 is going to be huge. 11 is my favorite number. 22 is 11 times two. So that means big things will definitely be happening in 2022. Uh, From a brand standpoint, we have the 50th anniversary of Dark and Lovely. We'll be launching a new cause on on Dark and Lovely, uh, Building Beautiful Futures, which Storm Reed will be the face of, of that and help us to launch that. Um, in the beginning of the year, we have new hair care ranges coming out um, called Blowout that we'll be doing a national expansion on. And we also have a new bleach kit hair color that is fire. OK, not fire, but fire. Yeah, it's hot, hot, hot. Um, so, so much going on on Dark and Lovely. Uh, Carol's Daughter, we have our maternal health platform um, that we partner, our Black maternal health platform that, that we launched in 2023. One, which is called Love Delivered. So we will be expanding that. Um, We have new news on our Wash Day and Goddess franchises, building out those um, regimens. And then on Thayer's, uh, it's it's so much anniversaries going on. It's the 175th anniversary. It's the 100th anniversary of our farm. Um, And then we also have our pH cleanser launching. So really so much going on on each one of, of the brands that I'm super excited about. And all seem to stem from so much existing growth that you've seen. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Erica, it's so great talking to you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Priya. Thank you. Great discussion. Thanks for tuning into the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And if you know someone or more than one who should be listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast, please have them subscribe.